One Week Season. everybody welcome to another episode it's week 17 of the slate breakdown with mike johnson and myself i can't believe it's week 17 we got a wild week ahead we have 13 games we're going to be breaking down the broncos and the chiefs the panthers and the bucks the niners and raiders uh jets and seahawks and finishing up with the vikings at packers lots of playoff implications in these games and one of the cool things is we got some initial ownership projections here as we were uh, getting ready to go on. So we'll be able to talk about that a little bit. And how was your uh, Christmas, sir? Uh, it was all right. It was busy. A lot of driving around, um, you know, visiting multiple sides of my family, multiple sides of my wife's family. So, yeah, it's uh, kind of ready for a break here this weekend and, and just uh, relax a little bit. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Well, we're going to get right into it here. And if you're watching us on YouTube, you can look at some of the data we're talking about and we're sharing some of the screens and some of the breakdowns of these key matchups. And in shocking news, the Chiefs are only the number two uh, Vegas implied total team this week behind the Lions, which mm-hmm. we get it's the Bears, but Chiefs are number two against the dumpster fire uh, Broncos, <laughs> I think is probably a, a fair statement at this point. I don't know if you saw the Judy came out defending Russ and his office this week talking about how hard Russ has been working and, you know, kind of stood behind him. We finally got rid of Hackett, which everybody just saw. He didn't have the confidence of the team. He didn't have it there. So on a 13 game slate, with everything that's going on and the number one seed on the line, how do you see the chiefs approaching this game? And more importantly, is there any part of the Broncos offense that you'd want any exposure to on such a big slate? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting spot for sure. Like you said, there's a lot of dynamics going on. Um, We just saw these teams play. What was it? Two or three weeks ago. Um, Week 14. Yeah. So you also have that um, in play. One of the things that I talked about in my write-up and that um, kind of uncovered and, and went through is the Chiefs' defense has been just so much better. Their game totals, the, the amount of points scored in their home games has been far lower than that of their home uh, than their road games. Um, and basically, their offense has kind of been consistent across the board. And the difference has been their defense playing much better at home um, and the game environment, not really being able to take off because they've limited other teams. They've held other teams below um, 20 points, you know, most of the, most of the season at home. So, um, you know, I looked through the last four home chiefs games and the point totals were 34, 36, 44, and 37. So that's an average of like 38 points a game. And then their last four road games were 54, 62, 51, 57, an average of 56. So that's an 18-point difference, which is two and a half touchdowns. That's a lot of DFS production. Um, And the sites don't, you know, they look at the matchups, they look at the players and whatever for their algorithm. So they're not like pricing it differently. Um, You know, all that being said, it's, uh, 
it's a unique spot in how there's there is a lot of talent and it's concentrated talent for the Broncos. I mean, Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton are two very talented wide receivers. Um, you know, you look at the expectations for them coming into the season, you would have thought their price tags would have been like 6,500 and 7,500 at this point in the season, not 51 and 64. So uh, yeah, I think there's a, a lot of interesting dynamics here um, and it's certainly going to be a low owned spot. I think in large field play, it's very viable. Um, I think the Chiefs stacks, their, their offense ha- has been good. I think uh, Chiefs stacks are, are certainly in play. And, you know, that's probably the way to play it is with one of those Broncos receivers as a bring back. So interesting as I'm looking at initial projections here again of ownership, and we're talking about DraftKings only here as we're looking at this. So I'm scrolling down. I, initially, McKinnon's still sub 5%. Everybody faded him last week, and he's doing exactly what he did la- at the end of last season. Kansas City figured out, oh, he can actually work really well in our offense and he does well. And, and he's getting those catches. How do you work him into, into this slate? If he comes in, you know, sub 8%, you know, by Sunday morning. Yeah. His, as you said, he's, he's kind of the same role as like Deandre Swift, but in a better offense and a little bit more predictable usage week to week, but the same kind of player uh, receiving back that gets some, red zone work and get, he'll get a few carries. He's kind of relies on explosiveness and, you know, his kind of breakout game, his first 30 point game was the first game against this Broncos team who their defense was lights out the first 10 weeks and has really been torched these last few weeks. So uh, interesting spot, the Broncos, the the strength of the Broncos defense, which may or may not be like giving up on the season. Um, is their perimeter, you know, Patrick Sertan and and the rest of their secondary is very strong and they can get a good pass rush, but they're very susceptible in the middle of the field, which is where the chiefs with McKinnon, Kelsey, Juju, where they are able to do most of their damage and Mahomes is great under pressure. So um, it's, it's an, it's a situation where the Broncos strength doesn't, isn't strong enough to neutralize what the chiefs can do well. And, you know, a guy like McKinnon, at his price tag with his ceiling is super interesting. So let's talk about the wide receivers. And I'm, I'm looking at this here and I, I, I'm kind of in shock. Like I, I hadn't got a chance to look that close yet. Okay. There he is. So you just talked about the over the middle Juju had not much usage last week. He's already coming in sub 10% this week at a great 5,600 price helps offset. Mahomes, Kelsey pricing. Kelsey's actually coming in lower owned than Evan Ingram right now. And as we know, with that concentration, there's always the opportunity to break the slate. On a on a smaller field, on a on a three max, for example, are you going to try to have any other exposure besides Juju or Kelsey? Or is it those combination of stacks or busts for you with Kansas City there? Yeah, I think all three of those guys, Juju, Kelsey, McKinnon, are where you'd be looking to go. The only other person I'd talk about that we've discussed uh, for several weeks now is Isaiah Pacheco, who, you know, his price tag is still hovering in that mid-5K range. 
his ownership's going to be really low. And, you know, we just saw Cam Akers as the like grinded out back for the Rams um, have that monster 30, 38 point game. And, you know, everyone was ready to write Cam Akers off earlier this season. So, you know, this could potentially be a spot for Pacheco to finally have that, that game that people kind of expected like two or three weeks ago. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's other than that, you know, the, the chiefs, the rest of the receivers, their tight ends, like it's, they play a lot of guys, but it's kind of unpredictable usage among them. And they all kind of just conglomerate for like the last quarter of the usage, you know, they, they mix up that up, but most of what they're going to try to do through the passing game is going to be Juju, uh, Kelsey and McKinnon. And then with Pacheco kind of be in the lead back. And I, I think he's got a good chance at 20 touches this week. I thought for sure we'd see higher Kelsey ownership out of the gate after what Higby showed they'll do against him, and Higby just absolutely torching the Broncos last week. Um, I, I was shocked he was lower than twenty, but I guess some of his price is keeping him down. So I yeah, definitely have some interest in this a, game, though. It's a price thing because, especially with like Kittle and Hawkinson having monster games last week and being, you know, their price, you know, two to three k below him with kind of similar ceiling it's totally a price thing for sure so it'll be an interesting spot i'll be interested to see if the broncos just have completely thrown it in and they get curb stomp like they did last week again or with hackagon if they put a little more effort in this week and if they can keep it closer early maybe they put out a little bit more effort um which would be great if they could push the chiefs at all this would definitely give the opportunity to uh, exceed that 45 point. All right. We're going to move on here to Carolina and Tampa Bay, the battle of the South. (laughs) Who who saw, who saw this coming this time of year with uh, where they'd be, who they'd be, how they'd be used. Interesting spot. Never did. I think we'd see, the Bucks at this point with that low point total, you know, when you looked at this on the calendar, you know, you expect to see the Bucks at a 26 to 30 point total in this type of game at this point in the season. But we've seen what they've done. We've seen where they are. Is this for you? Is this the week that uh, the Panthers, while they played a little better, their pasty is not good and they're giving up a ton of fantasy points. Is this a week for you at, what's looking to be pretty low ownership at, at total combined. And, you know, Evans has had no touchdowns. Is this the week that, you know, a, a Tampa Bay stack on a 13 game slate at low ownership could take, could take a, a, a big contest down. You know, it's, it's interesting. And JM kind of talked about this in his DFS interpretations. Like if somebody who had never played DFS or really paid attention to the NFL just like started this year and just like watched the season play out, they would be like completely flabbergasted at like why the Bucks prices are still so high, why they continue to be like, you know, nobody like at those prices, people are still talking about them. Um, you know, and the, the thing is, you know, the Panthers defense is it's gettable for sure, but, and they're down a couple of uh, their perimeter players. But the way this game kind of sets up, the Panthers are going to be very run heavy. 
Um, since Sam Darnold took over in week 12, they're, they're three and one, but they've been throwing at a 40% pass rate, which is lowest in the NFL. And Darnold's been good in like a game manager role. So they're going to run the ball a ton. They're going to play slow. Uh, the Bucks played a little faster tempo. They're pass heavy, but they don't really do much down the field. It's more of a dink and dunk approach, you know, trying to get three to six yards at a time on these little short passes. Um, and when they do go downfield, it's been pretty inefficient, a lot of incompletion. So, um, you know, I think both offenses are going to move the ball decently, but I think the way things set up, it's going to be tough. The Bucks defense has been very solid all year. I don't see the Panthers like busting through for a bunch of touchdowns and the way the Bucks offense operates, it just seems like both teams are kind of destined to maybe move the ball, but, but not be able to turn those into touchdowns. You know, I do think there's a couple of spots for the bucks with like, I, I won't, I'll be surprised if one of the bucks players doesn't turn in like a 20 point game, 20 to 25 point game between Fournette, Evans and Godwin. But I don't see it as a spot where we're, you know, to your point, it's a 13 game slate. I don't see it them separating now if they were priced not for their names and all that if they were priced at you know godwin was 5900 and evans was 5100 well then maybe we could talk about like trying to stack the whole thing up but further prices still being you know in the mid to upper 6ks i believe it just you know on, yeah, on godwin's straight- still 6800 dollars, which which says people are still playing them every week yeah, and Evans is sixty five hundred. So yeah, I mean, you know, I I do think both of them are going to get targets. I think one of them's probably going to have a pretty solid game. And Evans actually, he had a shot to have a huge game the first time against them. He had a nine catches, ninety five yards, and he dropped what would have been a seventy yard touchdown. I'm well aware of that. Yeah, I am well aware of that drop. That cost that drop kept me from a big big that week. So yeah. Um, yeah, so I think he's an interesting play at like 1% ownership. Um, I think, you know, Godwin, he can get there with volume. We've seen that. Fournette kind of, Fournette had 30 opportunities this last week against the Cardinals. He looks fully healthy again and he, he's getting a lot of targets. So at his price, he's very interesting. But I think it's like a pick one scenario, not a um, stack them up just because I don't see the scoring environment paying off all those price tags. What did you think about Fournette's tweet, him coming out saying, listen, guys, I've been playing with the Liz Frank injury all year. You can see when I push off, I can't push off as much on it. This is what I've been dealing with. Uh, what are your, what are your thoughts there with him? Do you think that's going to help keep his ownership down this week where you can run Lenny as a one-off? Yeah, I mean, he'll be, I'd say, in like the six to ten percent range. And he's eight and a half projected right now, right out of the gate. Yeah, so I mean, he he's not going to be like completely overlooked, but I don't think like there's enough with their offensive situation, and then with White's presence, where he's not going to get like steamed a bunch. Um, You know, it's interesting timing. He has like his best game of the year and tweets that. Uh, So. Yeah, I think that's just like somebody, I don't know, they're professional athletes. Sometimes they have like rabbit ears, you know, they'll, somebody said something that got under his skin. So he felt the need to go out and talk about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of pick your poison. He's priced like the same as Pacheco, who we just talked about for the chiefs. And 
you know, both probably have similar touch counts, but Pacheco is going to be more run heavy in a better matchup. Fournette's going to get more receptions on a lower scoring spot. So, you know, it's just, you got to decide how you want to construct your roster and kind of what story you want to tell. But, you know, even with his big usage game last week, he, granted he didn't score a touchdown, but he scored 25 points. So you're kind of, you're going to have to, he's going to have to get in the paint for him to be on like a tourney winner. But um, I got some thoughts on running back as a whole that I'll have in my player grid this week, uh, kind of on how I'm approaching that. Well, we'll uh, we'll leave that for the OWS subscribers to check out, and it, it's a good reason. So, what Mike's talking about is uh, himself, Jam, a few others. They put out their player grid, how they're approaching the slate, why they're approaching the slate that way, and, and one of the things we're we're trying to do here at one week season is our tagline is "Have a boat, we'll teach you to fish." We're not just saying play this and follow us, and and this is a play. We're trying to say this is the game theory and why we're trying to show you this way. That's why we, we're doing these breakdowns for you this week so you can hear a little bit of our thought process on why we're approaching this, where we're approaching this from, and and where we're going. So we'll jump from one dumpster fire to another and, and the Los Angeles, I, I'm still going to call them the LA Raiders, the Las Vegas Raiders. I'm old enough. I was there at LA when I was growing up, the Raiders were there, but I'm a, I'm a lifelong Niners fan for those that follow me at all. No, I'm a huge Niners Homer. And um, I, I don't. So my question to you is, and this is my initial thought. I don't see from a player perspective, how the, Raiders players don't quit on McDaniels this week after what they're doing to Carr, how they've all come out in defensive car, like pretty heavily. And they, if you watched early in the season, you saw the, you know, Carr and Devonte and, um, you know, those guys going in Ubers together and them, you know, making fun of, you know, them getting that little tiny Uber. And there was just, I, you see the relationship there and, and they all came out and we saw Jacob's frustration last week. Now he's going against the number one run D in the NFL. How do they, I joked, my joke was they're going to have, they're going to start the game. They're going to have some soft tissue industries. I'm cramping coach. I can't play. W would you be shocked about that? No. And I mean, I frankly, I wouldn't be shocked if the Raiders from their standpoint are, you know, if there are if some of those guys, they don't just make an active and sit anyways. Um, not sure what, you know, some of them might have some like um, contract incentives and stuff that they still want to keep playing for. But, you know, Josh Jacobs touched the ball 350 times this year, and now he's playing the top run defense in the league uh, with Jared Stidham as his quarterback. It's not a great spot. And you look at it from, you know, they declined Jacob's fifth year option for next year. So he's a free agent. So it's one of two things. Do they want to re-sign him? And if so, I mean, at this point, if you're saving, if if you're kind of giving up on the season, why would you give Jacob's 50 more touches over the last two weeks? Um, and if they intend to let him go as a free agent, the last thing they want is him to uh, suffer like a big injury be, that kills his value in the market because they get comp picks for losing those free agents. So um, from either standpoint there, and then you look at Adams, as you said, he's tight with Carr. Um, 
and him and Waller are guys that they just signed to big contracts last off season. So if you're throwing in the towel on the season, you would think those would be guys you kind of want to protect. So, you know, I think we could see like a, you know, a preseason, a preseason plus type uh, unit out there for the Raiders. And, you know, I've got, I've got some invested on uh, the 49ers outcome this week because I think it could get real ugly real quick. Yeah. So that's, so for me, I'm actually from a, for those who, you know, are work with our picks and on, you know, player props, I'm actually going to approach the Raiders like a preseason game and hope that their big guys get a couple snaps. Maybe, you know, maybe they need to start this game for an incentive, maybe, you know, a couple things, but take a bunch of unders on them and, and hope that they're, you know, they're resting them and they're not just inactive. I think there's some hedge there from a player prop side. So, so let's go over to the Niners side and, you know, their opportunity there. We know they're going to be the second or third seed. Um, and really at this point, most likely the second seed, this is pretty much a layup for them. My question is, is how much wear and tear do they want to put on CMC this game? And, their guys as this should be a pretty easy way to just run over the Raiders. Well, we saw it already last week and I talked about it coming into the week that um, just put pumping the brakes on CMC's usage heading into the playoffs and make a ton of sense. And they did just that. Uh, they gave Tyrion Davis price uh, nine carries reduced CMC's workload, his, his snap count. And I'd expect the same this week. And, if they're able to get out to a big lead, you know, I, I could see him, you know, one and a half to two quarters on the bench, uh, wouldn't be shocking at all. Um, you know, and then you look at the other guys, you know, it's tough to say with Debo Samuel, he's back at practice, but I would kind of think, um, the more I thought about it this morning, I kind of think he's, he's probably unlikely to play. Like, do they really feel like they need to fire him up? Um, I think Brandon Ayuk is a pretty interesting play. Uh, he's got big play potential. He he kind of is their uh, number one receiver, you know, after Kittle. Um, so I think Ayuk and Kittle themselves are interesting plays, but all the price tags for these guys are, are relatively high. Um, so I think really Kittle and Ayuk are the only ones that I'm interested in, but I think, you know, I'm probably going to play the Niners defense on every lineup. I don't see how you don't play the Niners defense on, on every single lineup this week. I mean, they're coming in the highest projected, but this is one at $2,900. I'm eating the chalk. I'm playing the Niners. It's, it's not hard to, it's not hard to overthink this one. Just go play them. Like just go play them there. We've seen what can happen. Is there a good chance Sidham throws a couple interceptions? Is there a chance that there's a pick six? Absolutely, because we know they can't run the ball, so they're going to try to throw the ball. And worst case scenario, they're going to put up, you know, eight to 15 points for you, most likely. Yeah. Well, let's move on to what is an interesting game for me. And I, I like on the, on the slate. Um, this is a, a big afternoon slate game for me is the, the jets at the Seahawks. While the point total isn't there right now, Mike white is back. I like the upside. I like looking at the lower ownership coming in as, as we're starting. 
Uh, I need to double check here real quick. Let's look at, of course, Wilson's back up there. So Garrett's getting pumped back up, but the other options outside of him, how do you like, how do you like this this week? And let's start on the Seahawks side. Um, do you want any, do you want any ownership from that side of the ball as concentrated as their offense has been, especially the last few weeks? Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm working under the assumption Tyler Lockett will be back this week. Um, you know, he's, he came back to practice and sounds like things were all right. Um, and so, you know, I look at this as like the Jets have a very, very good run defense. And so that's going to make things difficult for the Seahawks to consistently move the ball through that method. Um, Sauce Gardner, he profiles, he shadows a lot of top top receivers and he kind of profiles the best for to he usually the type of guy he chases is like the DK Metcalf type guy. And so I think that he's going to have um, he's going to be in coverage on Metcalf for much of the game. And it's not that Metcalf can't win those matchups, but Geno Smith, where he has his bread has been buttered this year has been accuracy, uh, picking his spots, throwing to receivers with separation. And just the fact that Metcalf is likely to have less separation when he's facing an elite corner like that kind of makes me think that it'll be, there'll probably be a little bit less targets going that way. Um, and so Tyler Lockett's one of my favorite plays this week, just because if they're struggling to run the ball and one of their two main receivers is kind of blanketed by this high end, uh, this high end cornerback, you know, the ball's got to go somewhere. So I think he's interesting. And then with Will Disley out, I think Noah Fant and Marquise Goodwin as those like ancillary receivers are, are kind of interesting after they, they laid an egg last week against the chiefs, you know, but as we just talked about in the chiefs game, there's, um, you know, there's a history of that chiefs defense being so much better at home. So, uh, you know, that's the type of thing where you can get that dead cat, cat bounce week after two popular pay, plays kind of fall apart. So on the other side of the ball, right? The Seahawks run D has not been good this season. How do you like, you know, mid price Zonovan this week, you know, at, you know, a couple of times they've used him. He's gotten decent usage. Can you see him get into that 20 to 25 point range for you? Yeah. So, you know, I talked about the running back thoughts and um, he's another guy in that like 5k price range where, uh, you know, he's only been active five games this year and three of them were with Mike white. Um, and in those three games, he had opportunity counts of, Let's see 17 20 and 19 so you're looking at upwards of 20 touches last week the last two weeks zach wilson was at quarterback the offense struggled as a whole uh last that week, was chris, a very nice way to say that yeah, last week chris traveler came in played a lot of the game well he had nine rushes and kind of changed the dynamic of the offense and if you look at the usage though like um Knight was the early down. He was the lead back and he played most of the early downs, got most of the carries. Ty Johnson and Michael Carter's snap rates and stuff went up, but that was mainly um, game script dependent. So you look at this spot against the Se Seahawks defense that's been um, throttled uh, by running backs several times this year. Um, and I think Knight is another guy right in that price range with a, a great matchup. 
uh, probably going to see somewhere in the 15 to 22 opportunity count. And, you know, this game, again, we talked about uh, where teams are likely. I was talking about it with the, the Seahawks and why, you know, the tough pass of resistance kind of leaves kind of funnels things into a tributary towards Lockett. And I kind of think we could see the same thing from the Jets here with uh, Knight. And then I really like Elijah Moore and Corey Davis in that like that mid 3K range um, because I know Garrett Wilson's going to be super popular and his price tag's low, but uh, the Seahawks have actually been pretty good against boundary receivers. So I think Elijah Moore, more specifically, Elijah Moore, Tyler Conklin, and Knight are like the three one-off plays that I'm pretty interested in here based on their price tags and projected matchup and usage. What do you do? Can you see, especially MME doing some, like some rules of, you know, lock it night stacks with mm-hmm. just placing it that way and then mix it in that a lot, you know, Elijah instead or Davis instead. Yeah. And I really, really like that play on FanDuel, especially Lockett is only 6K on FanDuel. Like they priced him down when he was out and now he's probably going to be back and he's still at that price tag. Um, so he's really cheap. And then Knight is like 6,300. So you can get the two of them correlated in those, in those um, likely, it's in those spots where they're likeliest, the, off, the team is likeliest to have success against the weakness of the defense. And it's interesting because like the, um, like Garrett Wilson and Kenneth Walker are going to be like the popular plays, like the way people want to attack this because Kenneth Walker had all those touches last week, Garrett Wilson, everybody loves. So, you know, you can flip that and play instead of the running back from Seattle, the receiver from the jets, you can flip it, play the running back from the jets receiver from Seattle and um, kind of bet on what's actually most likely at lower ownership. So I, and, I really love that approach. And a lot lower ownership, especially on the locket sides right now. Yeah. All right. Well, we're we're going to finish up with what is a unique game in the NFC. We have the Vikings at the Packers. Initial ownership is much lower on this game than I expected it to be with the point totals of Vegas this week, this game being at 48 on a 13 game slate. I, when I logged in, I I was actually shocked. It was as low as it was. And especially when I scroll down and I look at where is Dalvin cook, like as far as running backs go, and he's not even top 10 projected ownership right now. He's close but he's not even there. And we know what the Packers run D is and what it isn't. And it, it, it for, for lack of a better term, it isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at the running backs that have just absolutely gashed them this year, uh, the list is long. So how are you going to approach this, especially if we start seeing this kind of low ownership here? Yeah, it's probably my, my favorite uh, GPP game of the week just based on, you know, it is the second highest t- uh, game total. And then you've got, as you said, Cook's in a great matchup and um, in a game that, like, they need to win out to h- hold that number two seed over the Niners, who are unlikely to lose their last two games. So if, um, you know, they have an outside chance at the one seed, but they would need Philly to lose both. But anyways, you know, they're they're going to be playing. And like you said, they're... Um, 
this matchup with the Packers run D helps Dalvin Cook. And then, you know, TJ Hawkinson and Justin Jefferson have just been lights out dynamic. KJ Osborne is still really cheap and going to be low owned. And we saw two weeks ago, he had that massive ceiling game. So there's a lot of avenues for offensive success from the Vikings. And we've seen their games just be, you know, print fest for us. You know, they've played uh, 15 games this season and 10 of them have scored 49 or more points. Uh, and their last five games have averaged 58 points a game. Um, you know, and 11 of the Vikings games have been decided by one score. So I think that's kind of what you're most likely to see here because you get an explosive Vikings offense um, in a non-prohibited matchup against the Packers D. And then you've got uh, the Vikings defense that's been beaten pretty repeatedly. Um, and you've got an interesting spot with Christian Watson likely to miss for the Packers that kind of condenses things with Romeo Dubs and Alan Lazard are uh, relatively cheap. And, you know, they combined for 50% of the Packers targets once Watson went down last week. So, um, yeah, you've got reasonable price tags, explosive players, poor defenses. It's kind of everything you'd want. Uh, And specifically when you're factoring in that low ownership with only a couple guys uh, from the game projecting for double digits. And this is a spot where the the Packers also need to win out. The, yeah. the Packers, right? The Packers, all, you know, that matters this week. As we talked about in the Niners game earlier, uh, the Niners, especially with them sitting car, I mean, that's they're pretty much on cruise control here. So they can play their guys. Shanahan will match them up well. Whereas this is, you know, this both teams are playing for important positions here, especially because that number, you know, that seed matters, especially if. You know, the Vikings are saying, hey, if we went out, you know, we could get lucky and and get there. And meanwhile, the Packers are trying to make the playoffs. Um, yeah. How do you, and it's, oh, go ahead. As I say, how do you like the, with that being said, we saw everybody tilt last week with uh, the non usage of Aaron Jones again. What, what is your, what is your thoughts on? Well, he got his ankle rolled up on. He came out and said that yesterday. He got his ankle rolled up on. So he only had eight touches, had his, you know, touches limited. He did have like a nice, like 15 yard run uh, as they were milking the clock towards the end. Um, So, you know, I think he's all right. It looks like he's been limited practices this week. I think he'll go and he'll probably do enough to keep um, AJ Dillon from being like, super steamed and from being like a 25 type touchback. But, um, you know, again, the Vikings run defense has actually been pretty solid and their back end has been torched. Um, so I think, I think you'll probably see something similar to last week from the backfield where Dylan will probably get the majority of touches, but, um, you know, Jones is probably going to get some high leverage work, uh, try to get the ball to him in space and, and kind of manage his snaps. Um, I don't think Jones is a play, but having him out there kind of should help the Packers move the ball, um, you know, and losing that ability to give a lot of touches to him and Dylan should force the Packers to uh, the air a little bit more. And as I said, you've got a situation without Watson where we kind of know where those targets are going, especially for uh, very reasonable price tags at 47 and 54, I believe Dobbs and uh, Lazard are. So yeah, it's, you know, it's an interesting, um, interesting spot for sure. And, you know, just to kind of 
wrap it up, like kind of bring tie it together with what we just talked about. Like there's a lot of spots this week where we just talked about in the Niners Raiders game, the Niners probably going to, you know, run through the Raiders and have be able to kind of manage the reps of their guys. You got teams like the Raiders who um, are kind of out of it and, it's hard to really know what their usage is going to be. How, what are, what's their thought process um, entering the week? So when you have a game like this, where um, offenses that are set up to succeed and you know, like they have everything to play for, like they're going to lay it all out on the line. uh, Those spots become um, there's an extra value associated with those spots because it, it doesn't have the same risk that some of these other spots have. Um, And to that point, that's, why I was kind of with you like surprised that this game was not uh, had not been steamed up more than uh, what initial projections showed. Yeah. I'm, uh, I was excited to see that because this is one I like to spot, right? I want, I want teams this week that are playing for something that are, are playing to go somewhere in, you know, in, you know, higher implied totals with, you know, higher environments and it's I, I really like that opportunity there. And as you said, the if you really look at the data, uh, especially on fantasy points scored, the Vikings pasty has just been, I mean, scorched earth as far as fantasy points go. So mm-hmm. especially especially to outside wide receivers more than the slot. They're they're pretty solid against tight end. Um, they're they're decent against the slot, but they're just getting murdered outside. So and, and vice versa. This is a great spot for Cook. And Cook has, you have to remember, Cook has in his range, you know, for people listening, Cook has in his range of outcomes. He has a Joe Mixon game in his range of outcomes. He has the ability to go rush for 180 to 200, have three TDs or rush for 150, have a 60-yard catch for a TD. Like, he has that slate-breaking ability. And again, in a game that the Vikings want to win, that they they know they can, Mm -hmm. they do win this game. It's, you know, and it's a division rival. There's, you know, there's some say on the line. Um, it's there. The, the weather looks okay for this game. You know, they're, you know, both teams are used to playing in the cold. So um, we don't really well, it's very fe- It's there. very feasible. You know, they, they can deliver a knockout punch to the Packers, which from, like you said, like an emotional rivalry standpoint is right. worth something. But also like, this is likely to be a competitive game and like they could, they could very like if they lose this game and the Packers get in, there's a good chance they see each other in the first round of the playoffs. So, like, you know, just from a psychological perspective, do you really want to let this team in and then face somebody in the first round that you just lost to? Um, you know, so there's there's a lot for there's a lot of reasons for the Vikings to uh want to just take care of business here and kind of prove, you know, they've been in, in my write-up, I kind of talked about how they've they've kind of been posers, like their record doesn't really reflect how they've played. Um, and, you know, they've their point differential is is nowhere near what you'd expect for a 12-3 and three team. Um, so, you know, this is an opportunity to kind of prove themselves. Like you're a 12-3 and three team playing a 7-8 and eight team and you're a three-and-a-half point underdog. Like, you know, let, <laughs> go go prove, like that you are actually a serious contender. All right. So I have two questions for you as we finish up. So for those uh, listening, uh, who is someone good or bad this week? Give me one player 
that in, in the games we didn't talk about that you're you're going to have in your player grid that again it could be good or bad that hey you know this is someone you want to avoid or this is you know someone you want to look after who's someone you think is going to surprise everybody that's it's going to be in there this week um Hmm. You know, I, I don't know if it'll surprise everyone, but Tyler Algier is a guy that um, I'm pretty high on. I think he'll probably be like top five in ownership, but uh, I think that it's a spot where at his price, he's probably going to get 20 plus touches in a good matchup. Um, yeah. So he, he's a guy that, that I'm pretty high on. Uh, also very high on um, Teddy Bridgewater uh, specifically on FanDuel. He's at, like min price and you know that game environment doesn't draw a ton of interest but similar to what we saw from Gardner Minshew last week when you have an adequate a serviceable backup come in and playing with explosive uh playmakers you know there that's a spot where he he could just be carried there by the talent around him Right. I mean, we've seen what Waddle and Hill can do, right? And if it's a, if, would any be surprised to see each one of them break a 40 to 80 yard, t- run, you know, short catch TD runoff? Can he hit them both for a bomb? Can they, you know, uh, we talked about it earlier with the Eagles game is, you know, they're coming in at real low ownership and we know where the offense is going is, you know, is there an opportunity at that low ownership to really leverage the field? Absolutely. Um, and, and my final question for you is who, who do you need in week 17 this week in best ball or season long? Oh, I hit a, hit a painful run out in week 16 for best ball Had two of my DraftKings uh, best ball teams take second place losing by like just a few points with cam Akers and, uh, Tyler Higby. Each of them, like if they had both just had like less than 25 points, I would have uh, had two teams in, but they both went for 30 and 38. So I'm on the outside. Um, but so, yeah, I'm just a spectator at this point. Um, did have Dalton Schultz in a few leagues that I'm in the championship of. Uh, so he had a nice Thursday night game for me. Um, you know, and then that Bills Bengals game, I've, I've got a lot of exposure to that as well. So. That'll be interesting. I'm uh, I, I need, uh, I need the giants. I need the Jaguars. I need the lions and some bears. Um, so okay. it's going to be right. It's going to be super chalky. Um, but that bears at lions, um, you know, it's a, it's one that I, I won't be shocked if it's also a low total there and the, you know, the game doesn't go the way we want. I, it would be great for my best ball if it didn't. Um, but there it's there. And I, um, I, none of my soul, unfortunately, none of my soul teams came through. I did have, and I have one of my underdog finals. I did have a, it's not, I had a Pollard, uh, CD Dax stack that Pollard obviously didn't play, which that would have been a good spot for him. But I, you know, I got a decent start out of CD and, uh, my other quarterback is, uh, Mr. Kirk cousin. So after talking about that, I hope, uh, I hope he goes, I hope he goes nuclear for me. Cause you know, I, I've, you know, I've, this is, you know, I've, I really got into best ball more last season. Uh, I've made the finals, uh, whether it's football or baseball now. So I personally want to, uh, 
I, I'd like to, you know, take one down here and, and at least I got some lottery tickets. That's all you can really ask for at this point. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, everybody. Sure. We, good luck. We, uh, we, <laughs> yeah, we appreciate you listening. And uh, everybody, good luck in your championships. Good luck with DFS this week. And we'll talk to you all soon. Yeah.